individuals can seek out brands. You now have in your pocket, Google, you can fact check, you can look up stuff, you can social network, tweet, whatever it is, add a brand, engage with the brand. And so I think it really needs to flip the switch in the marketer's head around less about chasing consumers and trying to find and target them, but more a matter of create opt-in experiences where consumers want to find you. This is The Playbook. And man, am I excited because I have one of my favorite companies, favorite brands, and now one of my newest and favorite people, Todd Kaplan, Chief Marketing Marketing Officer at Pepsi. No need to describe what Pepsi is. Welcome to the playbook. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Well, you know, it's so nice because we get all types of playbooks of success. And every once in a while, we get a Fortune uh, 100 company, one of the biggest brands that really understand marketing. And Pepsi is one of those, especially in my realm, the sports and entertainment realm, that have done an extraordinary job over decades and decades of my career from running Lee Steinberg, the sports agency, with several of our athletes, entertainers, and celebrities that were tied to the brand and the events that we went to. I was sharing the World Cup uh, into the digital age. And you know, staying ahead of the curve is one of the things I think of when I think of the marketing side of Pepsi. And so I want to start in the future. Uh, the future is unlimited and Pepsi always proves that with their campaigns and their marketing and their branding. Uh, what do you do to prepare for an accelerated future when you have such a glacial ship to maneuver when everything, I think of real quick, Todd, not to manipulate the conversation to start, but I'll, I'll let you just jive on this. I think of the military, I was in this Naval leadership program and it takes 17 years to build a battleship. And I, I'm a technology guy. And I was like, how do you prepare technology in a ship when 17 years from now, none of the technology that exists today will even be utilized. I think of the same thing when I think of how does Pepsi prepare for a marketing plan when things are changing so quickly? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really great question. When you think of the marketing landscape today, you know, it's actually with the proliferation of media, new technology, all that stuff, it's actually it's easier to reach consumers in new ways and it's harder to reach consumers in new ways because there's so many ways, right? And as you think of a big company and a big brand like Pepsi, big company like PepsiCo, um, you know, we do have to stay on our toes and stay one step ahead. And so I think it starts with um, always listening and learning and, and getting our feet wet and being a student of kind of culture itself and uh, trying out new things, both on a personal and organizational level to do so. And then two is I would say it really comes into, um, you know, my mindset. I have a bit of a an entrepreneurial mindset, I would say, in terms of how I think and and operate and which seems kind of counterintuitive working at a fortune 50 company here you know this big bureaucratic place with layers and legal teams and people that approve and all sorts of people we got to take everything through and so uh but what it does is when you can kind of bridge those gaps if you you know it's like this idea of thinking like an entrepreneur uh, as i know a term that's been kicked around that uh, is really something that i and uh, my team really embrace as we um, come up with a lot of these ideas and connect it. And, and really, it's about bringing the, all these stakeholders with you to understand what is the benefit to this new technology? What is the opportunity here? How should we think about these sort of things? And uh, and as you start to get more and more fluent with it, you get more and more success and you can start to uh, get out and move move a little quicker than uh, the, the example that you were saying with the Navy. And, you know, early on, uh, a big brand could utilize mainstream channels. 
And today there's more of an aggregate effect of marketing where we need to aggregate certain interests and there's disparate distribution points comparatively than even five years ago. Um, and looking at that, I would assume I started my career with a very big company as well, Thomson Reuters in 95 purchased us for 3.4 billion, which was a lot of money back then. Um, and we had a very direct channel. Today, there's all these incremental micro interests that need to be served or you'll lose market share. How do you reconcile the big brand approach with, you know, even someone like myself who can carry an audience of, you know, maybe a couple million people may not seem like a lot, but if you aggregate a whole bunch of David Meltzer's, it can really sway uh, a margin in a certain direction. How are you reconciling the big interests with the micro interests? Yeah, I think it's a it's a great question as well. And I think you can't you can't be everywhere and you can't be everything to everyone or you will go crazy or unless you have a team of, you know, 500,000 people who are all trained at doing all those things, which nobody does, right? And so it really comes into, I think the big thing, because it is tipped so much in terms of, if you think of the, the history of marketing in a sense where, okay, you had four big TV channels and that's where you would start. And the only way to reach people was on TV and you'd make an ad and that was it. And then it gets into cable, then it gets into the internet, then it gets into mobile, then it gets into like, who the hell knows? And you got the metaverse and all these other things going on and podcasts and creators. And so what's happened in that whole spectrum, right, is it went from the brands and marketers call it, you know, almost advertising, as the, which I hate that word, but advertising out messages and broadcasting them in mass to consumers to now this one-to-one -one and very few-to-few -few kind of thing that also where the part that has really changed the paradigm isn't about the how brands communicate to individuals, it's that individuals can seek out brands. You now have in your pocket Google, you can fact check, you can look up stuff, you can social network, tweet, whatever it is, add a brand, engage with the brand. And so I think it really needs to um, flip the switch in the marketer's head around less about chasing consumers and trying to find and target them, but more a matter of create opt-in experiences where consumers want to find you. And that's a very different uh, thing. So we've done a lot of things from, um, you know, I've created a long form content documentaries on Showtime. I've done, um, you know, with our brand, we've done primetime game shows on Fox. We've created music videos, you know, with music artists. We did the halftime show. I mean, we've done NFT projects, worked with creators like yourself. So it, it really just spans the, the spectrum and you can play in all these different sandboxes as long as you're just consistent to the truth that is your real brand. And as long as you show up authentically, um, there's a lot of places where you can create these opt-in experiences and really engage with consumers in a more kind of modern, um, you know, and uh, deeper way. Yeah. And you guys have been dropping what I've called those cultural bombs as I'm in the sports world and just even surprised at certain moments going, well, how the heck did they do this? What a great idea um, in collaborating and coordinating huge talent with more specific uh, verticals and still having that big brand competitive approach. Before I get into leadership, I have one question. You know, I started my career in a very similar uh uh, competitive uh, atmosphere that you do. Two big players. There was Westlaw and there was LexisNexis. And, yeah, yeah. You, you know, it was very, very similar. I would love uh, for you to share your philosophy of competition when you're yeah. in a very big space 
with one true big competitor in you, how do you deal with talking about or educating the market about your brand or their brand? Because there's just a natural comparison to yeah. two big players. And you've been in this game for 150 years. Uh, yeah. and, and, and really, people, I'm sure, have had the competition, the test, et cetera. How do you deal with that type of competition? Yeah, I think it starts with in a brand like Pepsi, we always embrace what I call the challenger mindset, you know, and I think as a challenger brand, uh, that's one of the most exciting things about a brand like Pepsi that uh, and, and being a challenger brand, a lot of people confuse what that means. Um, a lot of people think, oh, just being number two in market share means you're a challenger. No, that means you're challenged, not a challenger, right? And so being a challenger is about your state of mind. And it really starts with I believe having a healthy self-awareness of who you are as a brand. So not only what you want to be, what your positioning is, what your services you're offering, all of that, but how the world sees you and embracing that and using that as your starting point, as opposed to constantly trying too hard to convince everybody, right? And then embracing being authentic to that uh, in a very confident, unapologetic way is really what enables you to put out a different point of view. And so on, on Pepsi, you know, I remember when I first started on this brand about four and a half years ago, one of the first campaigns uh, that I launched was just that is uh, it was the uh, Super Bowl was going to be in Atlanta, which is where, uh, you know, we have some friends down there. And um, and where were the we were the official sponsor of of the Super Bowl. And uh, that's kind of a little awkward. We usually, you know, so we could just say Pepsi, official sponsor of Super Bowl, whatever. But instead, we bought um, out-of-home billboards around the whole city that were bright blue with a big Pepsi can on and said, hey, Atlanta, thanks for hosting. We'll bring the drinks. And Pepsi in Atlanta, how refreshing. And all these fun little kind of just, you know, fun little tongue-in-cheek kind of tweaks. And then even our, our TV spot that year acknowledged one of the biggest cultural truths about our brand at the time, which was um, this really uh, crappy situation where every time one of the most frequent interactions we had with our brand was it was literally served with an apology. People would be in a restaurant and they would say, oh, I'd like a uh, I'd like to order what the other guys drink is. And then the server would say, is Pepsi OK? And like I'm thinking, why the hell wouldn't it be OK? Like. Of course it's okay, uh, but it's but that was the most frequent interaction. So we built a TV spot, kind of just turning it on its head with Cardi B, Little John, people who say okay and okay, you know, and and had a little bit of fun with it. And so th those are just some examples of like, and again, since that point, we've done a million different activations in that space. But it's really about this idea of being a challenger and and embracing your role in the world and really having a clear point of view of what your brand stands for and, and, you know, shining that out through everything you do. Yeah. Fantastic. I will tell you that it cost me a little bit of extra money because of the great job that you did at the last Super Bowl. I have my, my office, my studio at SoFi stadium and, you know, very rarely do I even go to the Super Bowl. Uh, but in our backyard, obviously we were going, but when my wife, I've, you know, four children, but when my wife and daughters found out, Pepsi's halftime show, <laughs> they don't care about the game at all. <laughs> it cost me a fortune, as you know, to bring three extra people uh, to the Super Bowl to watch Snoop Dogg and others. Uh, so yeah. thank you very much for the expense. Um, more yeah, importantly, <laughs> and it's well worth it, by the way. Um, you know, what's so interesting, though, your personal journey, journey tied into true leadership. And I have a definition of leadership that I think truly applies to you. And as someone that's an intelligent follower uh, and a, a real leader, you, you talk about 
learning from and then being able to have this vision, I think your personal journey is one of being an intelligent follower uh, where others can watch you now and lead the way by what you've learned. Um, Give me a few of those lessons from your personal journey of being an intelligent follower and how you've made that applicable to the culture that you've created at Pepsi. Yeah, I think that's a uh, that's great. I think um listen, as I've kind of uh gone through the ranks over the years, you know, and I've gotten more into the teaching elements of my job as well and you know, trying to teach, you know, you try to think about um I always do this exercise if you had like a superpower, what would it be and how do you, you know, really understand that, you know, um like what is your core kind of go-to skill set, right? And how do you teach that? So as you think about for me, this idea of creativity or storytelling, fearlessness, there's a lot of things that kind of come up through that. And I try to find little ways to kind of coach the team and uh, and embrace that throughout all of it. You know, one thing that we do in a big company, as you flagged, where it's very easy for a company to say, no, nah, we're not going to try it, or oh, it's too hard, or oh, the timing doesn't work, or oh, it's too small of an opportunity, or whatever the reason is. Um, I really drill this into my team's head because I embrace it myself, this idea of taking no as a request for more information. Um, that doesn't mean being like a stubborn pain in the ass. It really means really listening because there's going to be barriers and all of our cross-functional people in our matrix organization have the best intent and are representing the legal function, the supply chain function, the R&D finance, whatever the road barrier may be and really understanding and empathizing with that to then build that into the idea and really come back another time and say, well, what if we did it this way? What if we change this one thing? And you'd be surprised that a lot of the things that, you know, I get a lot of no's every single day. And then you come back again with a different kind of um, wrapping around it, or you've changed a couple of things. A lot of times you can be more successful. So it's this combination of perseverance and, uh, you know, protecting kind of the core uh, idea that really we've uh, instilled in our team. I'd say, a second thing that I, I always instill back to get, you know, really bigger impact results on a lot of these things is I always tell my team to write your resume in reverse uh, is a tactic that I use with them. And basically, if you were to go through and I were to say, hey, David, tell me your career story, right? You wouldn't tell me every freaking meeting and project and thing. You'd have, hey, here's the three things I did in my first job. And then I went to this and we did this and these were the big moments. And so as you, I do a lot of things working in reverse because uh, you go to kind of the end forward and say, well, this is the desired output. So I just started JobX. By the time I finished this job, I want to say grew market share from X to Y, launched Z new products, did, you know, change this to that and blah, blah, blah. Cool. Put those four things up on the wall and spend 70% of your time doing those. And uh, chances are you will. So uh, that's that's just, those are just two of the the tips we talk about a lot on my team. That's another tip that I got from Steve Jobs years ago about connecting the dots backwards a lot easier than connecting the dots forward, especially yeah. with accelerated technology because of Steve Jobs. He was creating his own problem uh, as we go, and you know, just such a pleasure to work with the intimacy of big brands today um, and seeing throughout you know my thirty five years of 
working. I, I will tell you another thing for people listening, as far as this being a playbook to success, so many people want to work in sports. And they yeah. come to me because I ran Lee Steinberg and Warren Moon and I had sports one marketing and all the sports genre stuff. And they'll say, you know, I want to be a sports agent. And I'll say, well, why? And they explain why. And I said, you know, the greatest job in sports, in my opinion, is being a marketing employee or a marketing totally. director, manager or executive with a company like Pepsi. And, you know, I think when people really take a step back and stop watching the movie Jerry Maguire, because it's not a sports film, it's a love story. Don't get suckered in. The greatest jobs in sports are the ones that, you know, you have, Todd. And what you get to do is way better than what, you know, I was doing as a sports agent years no, ago. Thanks. And it's, it's funny because my, my whole background's in sports, too. Uh, I grew up, you know, working for a sports marketing agency and we worked on the uh I led the Visa International business on the Olympic Games, uh, sponsorship stuff and all that stuff. And again, from a, as a sponsor and as a marketer, you get to participate in a lot of fun ways. You're engaging around the passion point and the fans and the athletes. Um, you know, a lot of where, where your background is. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of babysitting that goes into that. There's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of drama, a lot of it's not as sexy as it, uh, as it always appears, as, as you know quite well. So, yes. Absolutely. I always say it's much better to be on the side of paying the athletes, celebrities, and entertainers than taking their money. Seems to be a more favorable relationship. <laughs> they don't uh, like that. They don't like that. Okay. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, Todd, the insight has been incredible. Your journey is exceptional. What a beacon you are to so many young entrepreneurs looking to fulfill their passion, their purpose, and profitability. Uh, Pepsi certainly has changed our culture and has had a great impact as well on equity, inclusion, and fairness. Uh, three things that I know are stewards of your business, which is part of the backbone of the marketing culture that you've created. And I can't wait uh, for the fortune that you're going to cost me for more events that I have to go to that Pepsi is uh, a lead sponsor and role at. And thank you so much for supporting all entrepreneurs uh, with your journey and your exceptional advice as well. Todd Kaplan, the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer at Pepsi. 